people tend to see being angry as a negative element, even if you are angry because you are treated badly. So women suffer and react in that world where first they are having a difficult situation, but now they are not even allowed to express the frustration they are having. And the reason being that the problem is neither in the woman or the man, it is the structure that has been put in place, the management structure that says, don't bring us your home issues here. This is a workplace you are here to produce. What is it that I'm actually looking for? We really know life. Sure. But let me say intelligence. Emotional intelligence, social intelligence, financial intelligence. So I believe it's important for each and every one of us to understand the rules that govern any arena of your life. You are listening to the Revenge of the Forsaken Gods, a podcast that explores the human experience and seeks to create a blueprint for living using books, stories, movies, and conversations. And here is your host, Andrew Balongo Opere. Yes, welcome back to the Revenge of the Forsaken Gods. I am your host, Andrew Balongo Opere. And yes, this is part two of our conversation with Professor Ngure Wamwashofi. And yes, he used to be a lecturer at the United States International University, Africa, where he taught a multitude of subjects, communication, uh, gender and epistemology, amongst other courses. And uh, in the first part of our conversation, we spoke about music and its role in society. But in this particular uh, episode, we're going to speak about uh, critical thinking tools and uh, how to use this in your lives. What are the abuse of the thinking patterns that we have? And we'll also talk about a little bit about the perspective model that he came up with and how you can use it practically in your lives to impact not only yourself, but your organization, your family, and whatever group you are in. So without further ado, help me welcome Professor Ngure Wow Mwashofi. Thank you, Andrew. Yes, Professor. Thank you for that kind introduction. I am ready to go. Let me answer as many questions as you like. I am not sure whether I should introduce the model first, but I think it would be best you ask questions. Well, yes, you said you you used it in your military workshop that you had. And uh, yes, what is the perspective model and how did you come about this perspective model? The perspective model is a product of what I would say it was actually seven years from teaching at Indiana University. Then I moved to teach at the University of Wisconsin. Then I moved to teach at the University of uh, Florida Gulf Coast University. And what were you teaching? Um, when I was hired at Indiana University as an assistant professor of communication. So mostly I taught communication classes, but I also taught for the political science department as an introduction to political science. Uh, and then I also taught courses for the School of Business, uh, organizational communication specifically. Then I taught courses like argumentation theory, uh, logic, uh, public speaking, as an example. Then I also doubled as an adjunct professor for the Center for Afro-American Studies, where I taught courses relating to African experiences, including issues on race, gender, identity, coming from a philosophical background, mostly 
uh, I think philosophers, we tend to work mostly on how meaning arises. And this comes from the definition of philosophy, love of knowledge, wanting to know. In ordinary, everyday conversations among citizens, people are talking about who is right, who was the offender, who was offended. Uh, in philosophy, we are more interested in understanding how does offending happen? Why does it happen? So it forces us to start asking uh, critical questions such as, in what ways do people operate almost like automatons without being aware that they are hurting other people or they are expressing biases that shouldn't be there? How does a white person feel justified to think a black person is inferior? How does a black person feel justified to think that all white people are bad people and, and all, all that kind of crisis? So philosophy comes in very handy because it is a tool for interrogating the culture and culture being the programmer of the mind. People belong to a culture meaning that they have been programmed to think in a particular way. So philosophy is very helpful indeed. Uh, the role of the perspective model that I say I developed over uh, seven years it evolved over time because when you're a teacher who is interested in improving the self and improving the processes of teaching, you have to be interested in finding out how do I do even better this time and clarify this into my students. So the perspective model is what I would call a reaction to the idea that we live in a world that is organized around what I call narrow-mindedness of the binary logic. We call it binary ontology, the idea that things are organized in terms of good versus bad, right versus wrong. And those are too restrictive because it means that things are either good or bad. And we know that we should be more interested in explaining in what sense is something good when you say it is good. In what sense is something bad when you say it is bad. That is more productive, more useful than just saying this is just bad. And I would say as a parent that if you are teaching your kids and you are helping them to grow up, you can tell them, don't do this, it is bad. It is more instructive for them when they understand that if you do this, it causes certain things to happen so that you are teaching your kids to begin to see that there is a whole world of interconnections as opposed to right versus wrong. It's interesting you say that. Uh... I was around this particular family and one of the kids, you could tell something was wrong. Or rather, they were processing something, they were thinking about something which was weighing them down. Yeah. And automatically the mother was like, what's wrong? And it's like, you know, nothing's wrong, nothing's wrong. And mostly, okay, the male figure didn't obviously ask what was going on. But it was mainly the female caregivers who was like, what's wrong, what's wrong? And I started thinking, that does not help the child process this particular emotion. Because the emotion is making the body feel, you know, down, distressed. But they probably don't have any language to understand what's going on here. Yeah. And automatically saying what's wrong does not allow the child to process the wisdom that this emotion is 
even the question what is wrong is already assuming that it is something wrong. The idea of wrong is an example of that binary logic, wrong versus right. And also the use of the word problem or the use of the word mistake as opposed to saying what is going on? How are you feeling? Tell me how are you feeling is much better than what is wrong. And even what is wrong, it is like, I'm disappointed, you, you're, not, you're not feeling happy. Why are you not happy? You are supposed to be happy. Uh, that is not much of a mode of inquiry where the mother or the caregiver wants to know what is going on. First, they've already colored that question with the idea that they are resentful of the fact that somebody is not feeling good. If they asked, could you tell me how you are feeling? You are inviting the person to start expressing themselves. You are encouraging them to start becoming more reflective of the self. And they are likely to start telling you how they are feeling, however awkward it may be. And I say this is important because oftentimes people have feelings which don't have words for, because feelings are unique to everybody. And so they don't have a name which says, this is the ear. Everybody knows the ear means the, the hearing device, right? But when you are feeling something that is unique to you, you just don't know what, what it is. So inviting people to talk about how they are feeling is more important. Yes, and uh, I'd like to invite you to continue talking about... Um, I've grown up, and I think a lot of humans grow up, being exposed to this binary logic. Yeah. There must be a use for this binary logic, and I'm sure there's some... Uh, usefulness of this binary logic but also then let's uh, also explore what are the challenges or, or, or limitations of binary thinking well binary logic or binary thinking is inevitable and when I point to it as a not very helpful it is actually very helpful in other cases in computer science we have zero one zero one which forms the basis of how computer language is written. Uh, when we are driving, when the lights are red, we are required to stop and wait until they are green, then we can drive. So that is an example of where there is no ambiguity. So binary logic is useful when you don't need ambiguity. And so when you look at the military, when people are supposed to turn left, they should all turn left, turn right, they turn right. And when they say, yes, sir, they are obeying this because in the army, you are discharging a program that has to be accomplished and there's no room for error. So everybody must know what they must do. In computing, the same thing. You have written a whole string of different lines to run the program and then you forgot a comma. Without that comma, it's not going to run. Yeah. So guitar, I'm playing guitar and if a particular... Uh, sound is missing, it's not going to work. So that's an example of when things are already, what I say, regimented. So the point actually is not so much that we are criticizing binary logic. We are saying that when we rely on it only without the context of understanding how it is participating in the understanding, then it disorganizes everything and we end up with more problems and solutions give us give us a, an example of that just so that we can you are newly employed in a company 
or a government office, they tell you, this is how we do things. You have an idea that these people are doing something that could be done much faster. And if only they could do this step faster, then they will stop all this uh, other process. The moment he opens his mouth, he's told, young man, we have been working here. These people are about to retire. We have been working here for the last 30 years. You can't tell us anything. Just follow instructions, get it done. So now he keeps quiet. And the process goes on like that. Now, we know that humans create institutions, we create routines, an office has a routine of how an ID is processed. You need to provide A, B, C, D. Now, if you found that when you're providing this step number three and step number five, they could all be done at the same time. And that's what this young man wants to suggest to make it faster and is told to shut up, then the process remains unchanged. And yet we know that things get better because when we have a feedback loop, we have set a process in place. We start implementing it. As we are implementing it, we are studying how it is functioning and we realize it can be tweaked a little to become better. And it is that tweaking that is possible if there is no rigid regimentation. So binary logic then becomes a problem when you say you must follow the system. And in management circles, we say people are not doing very well because they think they have already gotten the process written down and all you need to do is to implement it. Well, yes, you are implementing it, but you need to have a way of feedback so people can say how they feel about it. And there are many, many other examples. If you are told this is how you greet people and you must greet them like that always, what do you do when somebody is left-handed or has a deformity and you shake them anyway <laughs> and they are so hurt because you have really added injury and say, I'm only doing my job. I'm following the requirements. That's an example of where you have to always have an excep exception. So I think the point is that the perspective model offers you the opportunity to understand that we, had, we have systems that we create and they are ready-made, they work, but wouldn't it be better if we examine whether we can make it even better? And, and please explain what the perspective model is. The perspective model tells you that instead of something being right or wrong, it can be something else that is neither considered right and neither considered wrong. It is just different. And when you accept the perspective model, you stop seeing things in that binary logic of good versus bad. And so that way, when somebody walks into your place and is wearing a bandana like I have, and you think this is wrong, how can a professor wear a bandana? You don't say it's wrong. He's different. He's wearing a bandana. He's wearing, not wearing a baseball cap. Tell us more about why you wear the bandana. So now you are beginning to explore, and I start telling you about the latent heat of vaporization, how the bandana helps me to absorb the sweat, and how having been a yogi and somebody who likes to do sports and I don't like sweat dripping around the bandana serves that very important purpose. And the more we do that, notice how we step away from thinking that there's just one way of being in this world. So the perspective model tells you there's more than one way. Number two, it tells you that the more we fall victims of just following one trap, the less we are likely to enjoy life because we are living it in a very 
ready-made fashion that is regimented and it has to be just only like that. Think of people who play music and they come up with their unique guitar styles. If they are just doing it like the classical music people are trained, they'll just do it only in that form. If I play Malaika in the same way throughout from the time I started learning to play Malaika, it will be like, this is how I was trained, this is how I'm going to play. Malaika Na kupenda malaika Na mini panyeje Kijana mwenzio Na shindwa na malisi nawe Ninge malaika Now this is the basic code system but if you are being artistic, it means you have to create your own idea of making it even better. And that's why people do covers for other uh, songs. And sometimes covers are better than the original song. And that's what creativity is. And that's what the enjoyment of life is about. So if I'm doing Malaika now. That's how Fadili intended it at the beginning. If you listen to the original, that's how it started. But then as I'm playing it, Malaika, Nakupenda Malaika, Namini Panyeche, Kijana Mwenzio, Nashindwana Malisina. See the difference now? I mean, it's the same song, but that variation is as a result of my creativity, which would not have been allowed if I assumed that the Malaika has to be played in that form only. So what does this mean? Binary logic is useful because things work like that. Language cannot work if there's no binary logic. Why do I say this? Because if I'm explaining to you something about light, we have to think of the opposite, which is dark or darkness. And so you can only understand light by contemplating darkness and vice versa. When you say you are too strong, too strong means relative to another measure of strength that is appropriate. And sometimes you can have an argument, you know, I, a guy talking to his girl, I know I really love you, you are a nice person, but you are too short for me. And if the girl is smart enough, she'll say, well, let's say you are too tall for me. So too short and too tall, who is right? Yeah? In other words, there's the concept of relativity within the range of, on the one hand it is here, and the other one is here. Now, could you give us some more examples of binary logic in ways that might not be very evident that these are examples of binary logic or thinking? Uh, I pointed out earlier that language is organized around the either or, either or, either or. Because we name things and say this is a table. So we know it is either a table and therefore not a spoon or anything else for that matter. Now, when I was introducing the idea of the perspective model, I wanted the student to start becoming more of a critical thinker such that the student is not just thinking that life is organized in that form, that there are 
can always be exceptions and that the labels we place on things like good or bad can only be seen good or bad in a relative form. The, there's a story of the young, the kids in a, in a community and there's this well-to-do kid who is lucky, he got a bicycle bought for him. And as he plays with his friends, people are feeling like, oh, I wish I had a bicycle, like that kid. And then yeah, a few days after, the kid breaks a leg and they're like, oh, I'm so glad I don't have a bike. Yeah. <laughs> and this story has been given by many different people with different versions. There's a time when now they're recruiting people to go to the, to the war and this guy, guy's leg is broken, therefore he's exempt from the recruitment to go to be drafted into the war. The point here actually is to explain how what we thought was good can become bad and then it can become good again depending on the context. And context seems to help us to understand how to interpret things properly. So the my efforts to create the binary, the perspective model, was this desire to show people that things are not either or. And so I came up with this idea of a cycle. You know, it is either this or that. But if you do this in a cycle, then it can be either this or that, or this or that, or this or that, and you have all these options. And as years went by, I say, what if it was just actually a sphere? Instead of these dots, they will all be on the world. So now I come up with this idea of the, the map of the Earth, which is now done with the longitudes and latitudes, and you have all these boxes in between. So to me, those started representing either or, either or, either or. And then as years went by, I made it even more sophisticated, where it became an onion. So you have this possibility, but now you can peel one onion and find there's another layer and another layer and another layer. So, I used to talk of dialectical tension where there's either this story or this. There's either this rich man or this poor man. There's the manager and the worker. We always make them look like they are so different when in fact a manager could be blood group B and now he has a problem with his health and the worker is, is contributing to him and think of how workers can think of management as the enemies or management thinking of the workers as enemies. And so when you talk about issues of gender and feminism and all that, the idea that a young lady can talk about how men are bad because they create all these problems and the men are on the other hand seeing women as either inferior, species or whatever. But part of it is because of being stuck in this binary logic. So take the example of a young lady who really loves her father but now she's in a conference and explaining how men have dominated everything, almost to the point of making it look like all men are just bad people. And then you ask her, do you have a brother? Yes. Uh, is he like what you've just told us? No, my brother respects us. So maybe if we change all men to be like your father and your brother, then the world will be a better place. And of course, right there, you begin to see that she's having some discomfort. And my point is really that if you organize everything in terms of just binary logic, in many cases, we don't go as far as understanding. So, and the reason is very simple, that when you rely on binary logic, you are 
assuming that you don't have to think about context because you are using a template which is ready made and it tells you that if it is this color it is wrong but if it is this color it's okay and I'm using that metaphorically because essentially life is more sophisticated than that. So this is what I did when I taught uh, my students to understand the perspective model even more. I would write something on the board. Then I tell everybody to react. And I write some controversial stuff like, a woman's place is the kitchen. And they all react, some of them very angry and some of them are yes, and depending on where they come from, yeah? So after that, we started looking at these answers and starting placing them in different places. Now we say, what if we were to ask, why did you say what you said? And it showed them another model that is called the tip of the iceberg model, where everything is explained by looking at the tip only. And my contention is that when people look at the tip, they can conclude this is good or bad, but they never go into the deeper part where the iceberg has more expansion at the bottom and if you ask why you might understand things a little bit differently. So the perspective model is a method of inquiry that tells us that when we find that there is a conclusion about anything we don't stop there we want to do some investigation on why people are concluding as they are concluding. Wow. Um, one of the just by hearing you speak, I'm hearing already one of the benefits of this perspective model is being exposed to a perspective that you hadn't seen before and potentially minimizing misunderstanding. True. And just from your explanation, you know that binary thinking can cause huge misunderstandings yeah. because of you know, the lack of context not being applied there. Yeah. And if you go ahead and run and, and build an organization based on this binary thinking, if, if especially if it's based on a faulty idea, mm. it can really hurt everyone involved, the employees, the, the, the manager, the boss, the CEO, whoever. Yeah. And they can see how it can cause now issues in society. Yeah. But that's just one of my, you know, just what I'm just saying in general. What are the actual dangers from you having taught communication that you've noticed like some case studies or some examples of dangers of binary thinking in different spheres of life? Well, binary thinking essentially locks us into a narrow mode of seeing any phenomena. And therefore we begin to see things as right or wrong instead of seeing the opportunity for lessons. So one of the dangers is that we lose a lot of lessons. Lessons we would have learned if we had allowed other views to be uh, available. Uh, the boss says he has had his mind made. You guys should just go and chill, be quiet, do what you have been told to do. Boss loses a lot of money because in the competing company there, People are being encouraged to come up with different ideas of how they think they can improve their department. And then they have a discussion. And then they try it out. If they find it's better than the previous, they are continuing to improve. When I was in Japan in 1992, I visited some companies just to see how they are operating. And I would see this sign everywhere where it says zero defect. 
which means that when they have invented something, it is already likable, but they want to continue to investigate how much better it can become. And uh, on every occasion, employees are given recognition. Ah, we are recognizing so-and-so who proposed this idea that is now, so he's given money and maybe a trophy or something like that. So that's just one example there. The avoidance of binary logic gives you the opportunity of changing our terminology from calling something wrong or a problem or a mistake and replacing it with the word lesson. When you introduce the perspective model, you encourage people to keep an open mind where they are now seeing lessons. And instead of saying something is wrong, they say something is different. Why did you do something differently today? Oh, I found out that when I do it this way, it actually works better than the other way. But if you are stuck on the standard that has already been put in place, you'd say you are wrong, you have disobeyed the standard order, which says this is the procedure and this is how it has to be done. Okay, how can, how can we apply this? You've given a great example in, in the business arena. How can we use this in the, uh, let's say, social arena? Like, let's say, for example, there's this hashtag movement with uh, breaking the bias, where women are coming together, um, calling out for having equal access to opportunity, uh, in the workplace yeah. I don't know I see that even as there's a powerful message that they're bringing forth some things are missed that I cannot just put my finger on, on on just the messaging I think in part it is the idea that the idea of male versus female itself is a binary logic and so it gives you the opportunity to see one as the oppressed and the other as the oppressor and oppression is bad, and in a patriarchal world, the male is the one who has power and therefore is seen as the oppressor. So women now are reacting to the oppression in society that they think the, the way to remedy things is to just have a hashtag which says, let's empower the woman or whatever the hashtag may be. And all those are good intentions, but they fall short of the fact that the activities that are set here are only reacting. Why are they reacting? Because they have stopped the place for analyzing. Why is it that men are this or that? For example, if a woman is given the opportunity because they are following the hashtag, you must empower women. Let's have a few women managers. So now they become managers and as they operate in that management place, for the first time they begin to encounter and understand how the regimented process of being a manager is already ready-made, doesn't have compromises because productivity requires for certain things to happen. Would you be surprised that some women then begins to feel very uncomfortable because on the one hand they realize they can't keep the same friendship they had with the fellow women. Since they have moved into management, and the management practice itself is male. I say male because you see, in a binary logic world, we have a division where we say, it's like the T account, debit and credit. 
So one side we have a reasoning, and reasoning is equated with a male, that's Adam. Then we have Eve, emotion, the woman is emotional. Now, of course, we know that men and women have capacity for emotions and capacity for reasoning. But if culturally we have been programmed to think that women are emotional, which would mean, therefore, they are not rational, they are not reason reasoning, then we expect them to be very reactive rather than analytical. So they get angry. And in America, people tend to see being angry as a negative element, even if you are angry because you are treated badly. So women suffer and react in that world where first they are having a difficult situation, but now they are not even allowed to express the frustration they are having. And the reason being that the problem is neither in the woman or the man, it is the structure that has been put in place the management structure that says, don't bring us your home issues here. This is a workplace you are here to produce. Now, when I, when I was in the school of business, I learned that there are different managers, those who are task-oriented and those who are people-oriented. Right there is an example of a binary logic. Because the assumption is that a manager who is interested in efficiency and productivity, he will be focused on tasks. When I come and say, boss, I've just gotten a phone call, my child is not feeling well. I'm sorry, this is workplace. Find somebody to care for that. We can't, we can't deal with that here. Here you came to work. Now, on the other hand, if a manager is so much into people, he becomes a people pleaser, then people are not working as much because he is concerned about making them happy. So he may not emphasize the productivity. Now, notice how this very setup assumes that things are either for task accomplishment or for people pleasing. Now, the perspective model will say actually either of those are not right because it wants to, you to explore the bigger story of it can be this or that and all these other possibilities. So a good manager then is one who, who knows how to harmonize those two. But beyond those two, what else can there be? And my perspective model helps us to do that. Because when you have that sphere that I mentioned earlier, and there's one box that says this is task-oriented, then we have the other one which says people-oriented, then there are all these other possibilities that never featured in, but which can now feature in. Yeah? So now the woman who is a manager, operating in a world which is already binary, is expected to take her emotions away which means she cannot be sympathetic to fellow women or even men who have come to explain that they have a phone call about a sick child because she's struggling to be accepted in this rational world. She has to prove, and in fact, she can even be sometimes much harsher than men because she wants to be accepted in this management place. And if the management place is one that emphasizes the task mostly, then that will not feature. In other words, she will now become the talk. Hey, once she got there, she just became like them. And that's why she's just as oppressive. I don't know why you think that putting women in those management places, that things will change. Now, see how that is misleading, because there is no analysis of why 
the whole idea of task versus people orientation is in itself a problem because we analyze issues according to how we have set them up. And I'm saying that the Western culture from the 14th century Enlightenment era, they came up with this idea of seeing things in terms of binary logic. Why? Because they came up with this idea that rationality and science and math is the way to look at everything and so everything has to be measured. Um, let me refer you to a book that you might be interested in and the, and the, the audience here. Find a book called The Mcdonaldization of Society. That's a book that analyzes, it is written by Professor George Ritzer from the University of Maryland. I read this book in 1994 on my way, I was at the University of Wisconsin then and I was going to Australia to present some papers at an international conference. While waiting, I figured 13 hours of flight between LA and Sydney, there's nothing else but, uh, other than the Pacific Ocean. And so I got into a bookstore and I found this book, Modernization of Society. So I read the book. By the time I got to Sydney, I decided I was going to use this book for my, my classes. And I was going to use it for all courses I was teaching. Why? It brought in some very important stuff about how when we think of things in terms of reason versus emotion, then everything is organized like that. Now, McDonald's is the equivalent of a Kentucky Fried where people go and buy food. And Riza used it as a metaphor to explain how the American culture has transformed to be a place where people think in terms of either or. So McDonald's is set up in a way that the idea is profit. So people are coming to buy the food, everything is organized to emphasize efficiency, efficiency, efficiency to the exclusion of people's comfort. And he was making the case that the mindset of the American has changed to the point that people don't think anymore. They only follow the ready-made system. And that ready-made system does not allow for these uh, other possibilities, as I pointed out in my uh, perspective model, that you either have, let's get your food ordered fast, get paid, get your food and you are gone next and the more the emphasis is on how to make it more efficient the less it is interested in making sure that these people who are buying food are actually comfortable so if you check the mcdonald's uh, restaurant the chairs are the hard type because they like you to not be comfortable so you can leave as soon as possible that way other people can come in and he analyzed the whole setup and, and realized that this actually goes beyond now, do you know, after I read the book and I used it, used it in my class, I sent an email to a few colleagues and we wrote a second book. It is called Mcdonaldization Revisited. My personal chapter was looking at a critique of Dr. Ritza and finding out why he was wrong in his analysis. And it is called Missing the Cultural Basis of Rationality. In other words, yes, he did a very good job of analyzing how rational systems can become irrational, but he couldn't explain why. So I bring my critical theory as a philosopher to explain that his major problem here is that he missed that all this is, thing is happening because there's a culture that we can call marginalization culture. It is a culture that emphasizes too much mathematics, 
reasoning, efficiency, and all that. So now, I'm talking about the need to understand things in a broader sense by understanding that culture is like a society's program of how people must operate. When profits become the starting point, then you find that people are operating in a manner that the emphasis is profit, and therefore all that we are seeing as undermining the human spirit is the result of the idea that we have emphasized a lot of uh, uh, profit. So what should the motive be the idea is that when profit becomes the motive, you end up committing a very interesting uh, contradiction of, on the one hand, you are creating things for people to be more comfortable because we have a, a fast food industry that is reacting to the idea that the American is overworked. Instead of one job, he has two or even three jobs. Therefore, he has no time to have quality meals. But the process of having these meals is done in very similar ways as the assembly line that Ford, Henry Ford created. The assembly line, if you go back to look at documentary films of 1938-37, you have a very serious fight between management and the workers who are being made to be on the assembly line and repeating the same process throughout. And this routinization was meant to be efficient. But in the process of being efficient, it undermines the very worker who is supposed to provide productivity. So now we have workers versus management having issues. In the same way that when people are being served these meals in such efficient ways, the emotion and the care for them so they can feel that in a place which cares, the, the, the place where the city is hard, is no longer serving them in any other dimension other than there. They just want to get their money and sell as many burgers as possible and make the money. So the contradiction is here. You set up a system meant to make people happy, but then in the process, you are taking several elements that make them happy because your efficiency was so mathematically designed that it missed other sociological elements. People go to a restaurant, they meet others, they need to be comfortable, they can chat and have a few switch of stories back and forth, but you decide your, your story is going to be edited out by making sure that the structure doesn't allow that. Now you've pointed out this idea from the American context. How does this play out in the Kenyan context? Well, it plays very well in the Kenyan context because essentially we have American systems that we admire and implement and uh, we implement them because we say there's no need of reinventing the wheel. So we have the franchise, franchises here, the McDonald's, uh, the Kentucky Fried, but even in offices, our workplaces are organized the same way. We get American advisors to come and tell us how to run our companies, or we have people who have been training in the USA like I was. And if they were not philosophers like I happen to be, I'll just be an accountant. I can't wear the other hat where I'm doing the critique of this uh, process. Now, when a person in Limuru takes over land that was owned by the Europeans before, and he's looking at how efficient he can become and uses those same practices, his efficiency will go up and his productivity will go up, but the people's welfare will go down. Why? Because the emphasis is efficiency. If we go back to slave systems in Mississippi, the whole process is organized around efficiency. By the time the cotton gene machine is invented, 
slave labor is not needed anymore because they don't need to pick the machine is picking so what is the net effect you have efficient systems these people are making more money and as a result the welfare of the people is not as it was so that's why you have an influx of black people moving from those places into the north chicago boston all those places and then in detroit michigan you have white workers who are not very happy working in the assembly line but slave labor that has been released has come and they can take over their jobs so the the bargaining power of whites in detroit is reduced because if they don't want to take that job a black man is ready to do it since he has lost his plantation job i i'm trying to help you to notice how things are interlinked and that the interlinking is possible when you use the perspective model because the perspective model attempts to explain things are like this and here are the reasons yes especially i'd like to unlock here in kenya and africa you know yeah in a conversation we had earlier you mentioned how the western education is very binary and that was what we were brought for here yeah as the british you know came to look for colonies yeah and you mentioned that africans were not binary thinkers you know can you talk more about how this has affected the african way of life well when you emphasize profit you introduce specialization the gm plant on mombasa road is a place where people assemble cars so the assembly line is the same trans, uh, import from uh, from detroit and these people are just going to do one small task and their ability to enjoy their job is reduced because they just do the same mundane task over and over but even better for gm they are being paid less than they would have been paid they pay the people in detroit so it is more economically viable to have parts sent to nairobi so you can assemble cars which are now sold to africa and south of sahara the big market now if you look at bagadi uh, road around 4 am 5 am you'll have a whole string of people from kibera who are so underpaid that they actually have to literally walk because they can't afford the bus fare why because the regimentation is such that your job is so minute you are not that important and all you go and do that job that it doesn't call for much of your intellectual element is not any different from what you see in Detroit in 1938 where the union united out workers union is actually rising up to challenge the management of uh, Chrysler Ford and GM because they realize that the profit motives have become so important that the other motives of making life better for everybody have been subordinated how is then a young person expected to thrive or build a life when already using this kind of thinking the adults are primed for profit So you've had years of maximizing and not caring about the human condition. Schools you just want to pump out people that can get A's but they can really cannot think. Mm-hmm. And so by the time now they have graduated, yeah, they don't know how to 
relate with life or the marketplace, what the marketplace needs, because what school taught them, just being efficient at cramming facts and giving it back to me, but that's not what the marketplace demands of you. And so if someone cannot get a job, and the adult or you know the men as women are saying you have so much opportunities because you've rigged the system in such a way once you have a lot of profits coming in you have the uh, resources and resourcefulness to create factories industries that a young person does not have so i feel it is an abuse that the adult industry you know, trying to tell the young industry, be innovative. But the reality is you need resources to be, to produce anything. And so even like you've mentioned, if people are walking uh, 4, 5 a.m. in the morning to go to this place because of the amount of money they are being paid, then how can they create an innovation and an innovation demands time and resources, whatever that resources needs, even access to that resource may mean money, you know, traveling to that place, buying that resource to put together, paying for a course maybe to put these things together. Well, the young people are unlucky in that the education has not provided what it was hoped to provide. As in when a young high school guy asked me recently, Professor, what is the point of going to school? I mean, we go to school, and I'm seeing people who have been out five years with a degree and they don't have a job. So again, it goes back to asking the question, what was the education, what was it for, and so on and so on. But let me just give you an interesting parallel. As uh, When I was coming here today, I was listening to BBC, and there was the story of Amazon and the New York chapter voted to accept to become unionized. And the big debate is how, what is going on? How is Jeff Bezos re- reacting to this? Is, are we coming to a point where workers of the world are begin, beginning to see the importance of unions? Of course, the discussion was recognizing that most companies that are private have preferred that their workers don't unionize. Why do they not want them to unionize? If you have workers and they produce good things for you and you want their welfare to be okay, why do you stop them from informing you about how their welfare can get better through a union that they form? Wouldn't the company want to encourage unions? And the answer would be yes. But in our modern times, unions are seen as enemies of the company. Why? Because when you look at labor costs that a company is trying to cut, that's why binary logic is such a problem and why perspective model is important. The same item that's being called a labor cost by the management or the owners of the company is the same item that these people call income, salary, <coughs> and wages. So when you decide you cannot have a union, it means their bargaining power is reduced and it means that their conditions cannot improve which is why the story as mentioning of people waking up so early to come to work. <clears throat> now that's the weakening of unions is not an accidental thing, it is deliberate. So people are wondering right now, when COVID got into the scene, 
and Amazon was still delivering stuff. And lots of workers suffered COVID because some of the packages became the means of transmission. And they are looking at their own conditions, how they live. You are really looking at how the world is transforming the workplace and the implication of this transformation. How much is it benefiting everybody, both management and workers? How are these benefits being shared? And the reaction is simply that we are finding the profits for Amazon have gone, gone up even more. But the benefits are not being shared by the workers. And that's why these people have decided in New York to have a union. And they are hoping that the, the whole world where uh, people are employed by Amazon will, will do the same thing so that the unions become strong again. So you're asking me, what can the young people do? Yes. Actually, young people don't have a whole lot that they can do because they are operating in a structure. You as the individual may suffer several things and the remedy doesn't come from your reaction alone. It comes from you understanding what is happening, number one, which requires to understand the tip of the iceberg. You're suffering, that's the tip of the iceberg. Why are you suffering? Then you go to analyze deeper. When you analyze deeper, that's when you begin to see the interconnections. Our general human nature is to avoid too much detail because we operate and find the binary logic to be much more convenient. But it is to our peril. And that's why the critique of education and finding it is becoming too narrow, people are memorizing things, is so appropriate because people ought to be understanding things in that more sophisticated fashion where you ask the question why. Because when you do that, then you can see why binary logic is a disadvantage. You mentioned that you have another theory that would really help us navigate this man-woman conversation. And I think, if I remember correctly, you called it domineering theory? Oh, no, uh, it's a model I tried to create. It's really less of a theory and uh, more of a model where I say one way to understand the relationship between men and women is to understand oppression and domination, which I developed over time when I used to teach uh, issues on ethnicity and race back in the USA. When I look at slave, slave labor and all that, and when I look at uh, <clears throat> Detroit and the auto worker, and I realize more and more that there is something to be said about the question of setting people up as superior and others are subordinate. If you are using race and you are saying slaves are subordinate, whites are superior. If you are looking at gender and you are saying women are subordinate and male are superior, uh, you get to a point where you begin to blur the commonalities that white people have with black people. If a black person is working in Pennsylvania uh, coal mining plant, whether he's black or white, he's breathing the same bad coal dust. Yeah? But if you look at Professor Daniel Roediger's book, it is called Wages of <clears throat> Whiteness. He talks about how ordinary people who are just workers can look at themselves in that low place where they live, like in Kibera, and say, well, you know, we are white, we are the owners of this company. The black guy can say, but you are suffering the same thing, what does it matter? But now you look at the role of language and you find that when people are playing the games as mentioned earlier, like the ugly duckling, the beauty and the beast, 
and the white Dalmatians. All of those have race connotations that are implying that people can be taught to think they are su superior, even on that symbolic level, even although they are materially working in the same bad conditions like others. How so? so Especially have, for the ugly so duckling. You have white like kids in a white workers' neighborhood that is both black and white, but if they are Sing things, songs like me, uh, many, many, many more. I caught a tiger by the toe, and you're, you're, you're playing games that are playing race matters. It's the same as when you look at uh, black people being presented as a, they are less than, and so when you show their comedy, their features are presented in a very grotesque way. You can understand this more when you look at the role of media in creating the American consciousness about black people and there's a good documentary which i would encourage people to look at it is called ethnic notions it gives you a historical view of how black people are caricatured in cartoons in movies and in comedy so all the time they have to be acting the role of the the dumb guy the sambo they are not intelligent they are this and that because all they do is just they work as slaves that image planted on the white person makes him feel he's better off even if he's working in Detroit as an assembly person. When I worked in construction in the Washington DC area, I had occasion for a guy to tell me, but you know, we enslaved you. And the boss here is, is white. And I tell him, but we are breathing the same dust. What does it matter? And of course for him that didn't matter because symbolically he could still tell me that the boss is white. I think I see that I think I see that same dynamic playing on the ground because growing up mm -hmm. I used to hear you know I used to think Kikuyus were the cool kids because you know I would hear you know Kikuyus are businesses yeah you know and you know the tribe that I'm from uh, Luo they were mainly academics and in society lecturers are not really esteemed you don't see their powers yeah. but for the business person you can see look you see they have a truck you see they're uh, they're carrying fruits they are making money yes. but when you look at the lecturer the lecturer really is this, is, is this a guy who teaches and if you even just see how they are spoken of in society you see even our president is kikuyu and all this so i realize this like you said yeah. media for a long time I felt in, inferior because I was in Kikuyu. Mm. And I felt if I had Kikuyu friends, I would now, I'm rubbing shoulders with... The people around the country. Yes, with the people that run the country. But then after becoming an adult and being exposed to ideas of communication, starting to realize that, oh, each person is their own individual. And this is just a narrative to make people feel better. But the reality is, it's a totally different game that's being played, you know, people with resources and people who don't have resources. Narrative as propaganda, as I mentioned earlier. In others, I mentioned earlier that propaganda's role is to make you see things in certain ways. And in fact, in seeing things in terms of Luo versus Kikuyu, you also miss the point that there are many Kikuyus who live in squalid conditions, as those people who work in Limuru farms as laborers, the same way they are uh, grandparents worked as laborers for the white uh, person in those plantations. So that's what's going on. Now, on the issue of gender that you had asked earlier, how does this work? 
Well, it stops you from seeing that you are a girl, but you have a father you love and your brothers who you love, and that clearly there's something deeper than just men are bad and women are good. When you are growing up as a male child, I'm sure you are very close to your mother until maybe age five is when you feel a little comfortable. You are taken to school, you are crying, you are holding onto your mother's dress. She's very important to you, yeah? But the amount of propaganda that you encounter about women now begins to shift you away from your mother to the point that when you are at age seven at school, you're playing ball and you kick and somebody's laughing at you. Oh, look at how the ball didn't even go far. He's kicking like a woman. And you're thinking, how does a woman come into this story of kicking the ball? Well, because women are constantly being treated as people who are emotional, they are not strong, and men are strong. Is it any wonder that when a daddy is coming home from work and he finds his girl climbing trees with the boys there, he goes, oh, honey, come, come on down. Ah, girls don't climb trees. So now she knows if my father and I are going to be friends, he shouldn't find me climbing trees. Oh, I can't climb. My father told me not to climb trees. So the girl is learning to be incapacitated in terms of her abilities because she's relying on how she has been propagandized by her father. Is it any wonder that when she goes to KPLC interview for technical guys who will be hanging the wires on poles and one of the interview aspects is to climb and she's all petrified and she doesn't get the job because she's a woman, that it has something to do with the cultural element? So this takes you back to my point about culture being the programmer of our minds and that it is put in place through language which is organized around that binary logic. And that when we overcome the binary logic, that girl would have asked father, why is it wrong for me to climb trees? And if father was not thinking in that binary logic and saying girls don't climb trees, he would have asked the same question himself and maybe he would be proud that his girl is climbing trees. And of course, there are a few men and women today who understand that and they let their girls become whatever they want to be. The term tomboy is not a very nice term for a girl. Oh, you want to be a tomboy? You're supposed to be girly, the way you sit and all that. You are started in this process very early. So my point, I think, about gender is that on the one hand, women can be talking like they want men to change so they can be admitted, but they also need to be working on themselves in terms of how they have been programmed through language, through binary logic, so that they can overcome their own feeling that they are inferior on the one hand. And these conversations can be had so that men and women are constantly reinforcing each other about how we shouldn't have these severe divisions about I'm a man, I can't be in the kitchen. In fact, uh, it is through your gender and epistemology class that really gave me a lot of clarity and I appreciate the process that you took us through. Yeah. Where you were not really giving us the information, but it was very intense discussions. Yes. Yes. You paired me up with, uh, with my fellow girl in class and you said, I think the scenario was, yeah, we've been dating, we're going to get married. Should we have a joint account or separate accounts? And then uh, you had a, a case study. I remember I created yes, the case study. Yes, you, you had the class discuss and yeah, and you had people talk about their decisions and that 
they were to behave as if they were friends advising us. So yeah, they were like, oh, you should have joint account. Oh, you should have separate accounts because of this. It was just very interesting. The way you allowed that discussion to happen. Yes. You know, people are very animated. They are very, you know, gung-ho. This is my view. Yeah. But uh, what I appreciate is how you brought about these beliefs that people don't talk really about in public. Mm-hmm. But we can see you should help people make decisions. Yes. And, and if people would like an experience to have a workshop with you to help them see how can they can explore um, how language impacts them. Because you said language forces us to see life in a particular way. It's propaganda. And you mentioned how culture is the dictionary of life. Um, I think that would be a good time to close. But would you mind just sharing with people uh, how they best contact you if they need a workshop, like a parent wanting to know how to talk to their children? Because you really gave some very nice questions. Uh, what can uh, mothers do? What can fathers do? And even people who are entrepreneurs in business, uh, people who are uh, bosses within their outfit or managers, how can they use the perspective model in a practical way yeah. where they can get the feedback loop? Yes. And even for women and men that need clarity to how they can have a way forward with, uh, with their agenda just uh, not only being satisfied with a hashtag. How can we work together as men and women to address the cultural elements that are limiting whichever group that is being impacted, how can they get in touch with you? Well, they can call my number or send me a WhatsApp message. 0729-933-524. I don't have a web page right now. I have a Facebook, but I have not been active because I, I have been very busy constructing since I retired. But I'm very available to help people with all kinds of things. For example, if I was dealing with a corporation and they want sensitization as far as gender is concerned, I like the case study approach very much, which is why you are take, talking about that example. And coming from a business uh, background, having had a business degree and having worked in, in companies back here, I think I'll be able to create very good case studies that will help. So in others, what I'm saying is, I am available to tailor any program for any groups of people or companies. Uh, Mothers and fathers who like to have a good communication with their family members. That's a big area that I find to be missing, that oftentimes parents are at loggerheads with their kids because of that binary logic. Kids say, daddy, you don't understand. Mommy, you don't understand. Daddy says, child, you don't understand. But they don't go into uh, looking at the drama that happened and then asking why are these things happening. So I can tailor those kinds of programs that we can actually do. Can you also tailor for for kids so that they can understand how logic works, you know, at their level? Yes, absolutely. Logic is so important. It is fundamental to everything. Because reasoning is uh, not even an option. You have to be able to reason. And I'm saying that when we rely too much on culture and its uh, ready-made phrases, then reasoning is out the window because it's like you just do things the way they are supposed to be. That's the way it is. I can do the same for corporations. Uh, if a company tells me where their issues are, 
or if they allow me to come and do a quick audit, I'll just talk to a few people here and there and find out. And if they have a suggestion box, I can analyze those and I can tell them where we can start. That's one. Um, women who are very interested in making sure they help the young women and young men, we can have a, a similar workshop which can be tailored to address very specific things. But most important for me, it is the idea of helping them to understand the role of perspective model as a tool for helping them to know that they can handle things not on the surface level, but to go deeper. And the benefits of going deeper is that you come up to a point of understanding how you can change the structure in order for everything else to follow from there. Yes. The number again, 0729-933-524. I'm hoping to have a web page soon and other social media forms. Yes, and uh, that's the reason I brought uh, Professor Mwashofi here because his just conversations have changed my life totally. And hence, I believe that everyone needs to have an experience of him so that if he's changed lives internationally, uh, why not get the opportunity to have that done locally? So, um, uh, before we go, uh, is there any uh, books you'd recommend? I know you've recommended a few books and documentaries along the way. Yeah. Uh, anything that you think someone could start on? You know, if maybe right now in their schedule they're not able to reach out to you or... I would encourage them to look at my video. It's a 33-minute video. It's called The Perspective Model. So if they type the perspective model on Google and they put a plus sign and add just the name Ngure, N-G-U-R-E, it will show. And I'll also add a link to everything we've spoken of in the show notes so you can just easily uh, watch the video or participate in any of the, yeah. uh, anything mentioned here. If I may say something about the video. This video was done by a student of mine at USIU. When I was done with the lecture explaining the perspective model, he tapped me and said, Professor, you have changed my life today. I asked him, how so? You have opened my eyes and mind and my heart to understanding how wrong I've been. I've been annoying a lot of my friends. In fact, I'm going to spend time to apologize to them. So I was quite touched by that. Wow, wow. And I asked him, explain specifically what has happened. He told me, you know, I was born again. I'm a born-again Christian. I've constantly been judging my friends and telling them how wrong they are and this and that because I've been operating on the tip of the iceberg, observing their behavior, never asking why they do what they do. So he asked me, do you think we can do this lecture in the next class because I was teaching more than one section for the senior seminar and I want to come there with the camera and just record the program. And that's how he did the video. It was not my idea. And so when you look at the video, at the beginning, you have students coming in and you hear the squeaking of the chairs, but the, 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 sound, the noise dies off as people are settling in, and you'd find it quite helpful. And uh, I think that seven years of investing on that development of that model to the point that people can find it helpful, I am hoping to do a smaller version which will be shorter and more to the point because living in this world teaches you so many things, and I'm sure I can integrate a lot more things than that. So before we go, what are three things you can share based on just the perspective model, looking at culture, what three bits of wisdom can you share? The first wisdom is 
Whenever you have a discussion with somebody who has a different view from yours, don't end up with this binary logic of saying, you are wrong, or I can't believe you can think like that. Instead, tell them, please tell me more. Explain to me what you mean. When you do that, first you disarm the other person from thinking there's something wrong with you, and you're also disarming yourself from thinking that people who have different views are wrong, and open yourself for a new lesson from somebody who has seen the world from a different view. That's why I start off by giving people examples when I do that perspective model. There's an example where I tell, I write the word DOL, D-O-L-L. Please write what comes to mind, and everybody writes whatever they come to mind. Then I tell them, let's hear from you guys. And the question there is, can you tell me why not all of you had the same answer? And that's the best proof that people see the world differently, and the world can become a better place when we understand that our role is that we are never complete. There's a Swahili proverb that says, Muja haachi kuumbo. In other words, physically we are always changing, but mentally we are also changing. And when you meet people from different places, see them as your new lessons, because they too live in this same planet, experience similar things, but have different interpretations from you. So my advice is learn by reminding yourself, number one, life is a never-ending journey, is a never-ending school. Every day is an opportunity to start a new life because it's an opportunity to learn new things. And your teachers are constantly available because they are in everybody, whether it's a three-year-old or a 90-year-old. And finally, to always remember that if you put yourself in the status of being a student, you will never have the arrogance of seeing yourself as I know everything and therefore you are full. Because if you know everything, then you will have no room for accepting new wisdom. Wow. Thank you very much. That was Professor Ngure Wamwashofi. Please, uh, I know there have been so many gems discussed over here. If anything stood out for you, please just tweet at RevengeFGods on Twitter. Uh, you know, just go ahead and tweet what stood out for you. If there's a phrase, a sentence, an idea that was just mind-blowing, please share with us. And I'll go ahead and share with Professor. Uh, it, this is part of feedback, you know, the feedback loop, so that we can know what what is it that is uh, uh, unlocking for you. Uh, because as you've seen, one you every single one of you might be listening to this, but every single one of you is getting something different from this. So yes, also Revenge F Gods on Instagram if you prefer, Revenge of the Forsaken Gods on Facebook. Yes, please go ahead and share with us your feedback. We'd really appreciate that. Uh, you can email me also and reach out to me and I'll be able to relay the message to uh, Professor Ngure if in case you're not able to reach him by phone. Thank you very much. All of you are my inspiration for doing this, learning the things that we aren't taught by our parents, teachers, and society. If you learned something new, let me know what it is. So thank you very much again, Professor. Thank you very much, each and every single one of you who is listening to this and supporting me. I hope your life has just gotten an upgrade and go ahead and become the best that you can be. Thank you.